0: amen amen well good morning haynes creek can have a seat it's good to be worshiping with you today if it is your first time just want to say a special welcome to you we are thrilled and excited that you are here worshiping with us as our guest and we would love a chance to follow up and let you know how much we appreciate your visit if you could do me a huge favor before you head home today stop by our welcome table we have our free gift we'd love to put in your hands today and there's also these little welcome cards if you don't mind taking a minute to fill that out those come back to me is just a way for me to reach out and say thank you so much for your visits if you do me that favor i would appreciate that and and we are going to continue on in our series going verse by verse through the new testament book of philippians but before we get to that uh, i just want to share a few important announcements for us as we get started today one if you are a covenant member of haynes creek we are having a member meeting Right after service. So typically, you know, we tear down afterwards, and then, you know, those that can help and stay, we we appreciate that, and then we head home after that. But we're gonna, instead of tearing down right after, we're gonna go, for those who are coming to the meeting, we're gonna go straight into the cafeteria, go get your kids, uh, come to the cafeteria, and then we will tear down after the meeting. So, members, if you can stick around and help us tear down, that would be amazing. Um, If you're not a member, we would still love for you to come to the meeting. You're more than welcome to come and sit in and hear some important updates about where we are as a church that'll happen again right after service in the cafeteria right next door through that wall also uh, a couple other things we have going on uh, this is the time of year for operation christmas child we, we do this every year uh, where we get to fill shoe boxes with little toys and gifts uh, but more important than that uh, the gospel goes out with these boxes uh, to kids needy children all over the world so we have boxes available if you want to grab one of the official operation christmas child boxes you can do that in the back. They're right over there on that table. Or you can get any kind of plastic tub, anything that's kind of shoebox size that has a lid that you can put on there. Um, And there's instructions all on uh, the website for Samaritan's Purse for Operation Christmas Child. Uh, You can find all the details on what things are acceptable versus not acceptable to put in those boxes. But again, this is a great way uh, to bless children at Christmas time all around the world. And yes, with gifts and good things for them, but but most importantly, the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. So it's a great organization, great opportunity for us to serve children all over the globe. So make sure you do that. We are going to collect boxes up until uh, Sunday, November 19th. That's the day that they are due, so make sure you bring those in on that. Sunday, we'll continue to have details about this in our weekly email as well. Um, and another cool opportunity that we have, I know this is kind of short notice, but uh, Flint Hill is having their curriculum night on uh, on Monday, or I think, I'm not sure what date it is actually, October 25th. That's the date. Not sure what day of the week that is, but on October 25th they're having their curriculum night, and they have asked uh, partners like us uh, to bring candy bags for them and families and uh, and lots of stuff that they have going on. So candy bags is a great way that we can come in and kind of meet a need for Flint Hill uh, for their curriculum night. So I know, again, I know it's a short notice, but if you can and are willing and able to bring a bag of candy with you next Sunday, uh, please do that. We'll collect those and get those to uh, Flint Hill for their curriculum night. So if you can do that, that would be. Awesome. And then uh, also, we've been announcing this for a while, but D Groups, uh, we are going to start this soon. So if you are interested in D Groups and have not signed up, please do so. Uh, Soon you can let me know. You can email me. You can find it on our website to sign up. Uh, If you get our weekly email, it's in that. It's been in that for the last few weeks. But again, this is an opportunity for those who are looking for a little bit deeper, more intentional discipleship and accountability in your walk with Jesus. Uh, These are going to be groups of women only and men only, where we really dig deep into our spiritual lives and where we are at and how we can encourage one another and pray for one another more intentionally In our walk with Jesus. So, if you are looking for a discipleship opportunity that that goes deeper than what we have on Sunday mornings or in Sunday school or in our community groups, this is a perfect opportunity for that. So, please uh, let me know if you're interested in that. We're going to get started with those uh, shortly. So, we want to be able to follow up with everybody who's interested and give you all the details for that. So, let me know soon if you are interested. And, like I said, church, today we're going to continue on in our series going verse by verse through the book of Philippians. Today we're going to start something new. I'll, I'll share with you what that's going to look like here in the next few minutes. But uh, let me pray for us and we'll, we'll get started. Jesus, thank you for this wonderful day, Lord, this wonderful opportunity, Jesus. And, and I, I, I think too often I take for granted this truth. But Lord, it is such a blessing that we get to gather pretty freely in this country on, on on Sundays and worship you and, and seeing the conflict going on in Israel and, and, and across the globe, Lord, just uh, it breaks my heart to see the violence and the terror that's going on, Lord. So let us not forget the blessing that you have for us here. We get to gather freely and in, in, as a church and in your name, Jesus. So uh, we pray your hand of blessing over this time, Lord. We pray for peace throughout the world, Lord, and we know that that ultimately only comes through you, Jesus. So would you, would you bring peace? Would you bring healing? Lord and would you uh, again just bless our time today as we open up your word as we see uh, your truth Lord would you open up our eyes and ears of what you would have for us today Lord would you speak through me Lord let it not be about me or anything uh, about me today Lord this is this is all for you this is all because of you Jesus so we thank you we praise your name Lord would you be with us in this time Lord we ask this all in your name amen Okay, so like I said, we're going to continue on in Philippians. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can go and up, open up to Philippians chapter two. and And thank you uh, to one of our elders, Lee Parker, who preached last Sunday. Uh, if you somehow missed that, uh, we have it online. You can check the podcast. You can check your YouTube page for the service. But Lee did an incredible job walking us through the first four verses of Philippians chapter two. And now we're going to kind of we're going to move into this new section of uh, Philippians. And again, this is part of a larger section, but within this. Uh, verses 5 through 11, uh, Paul gives us some of the most incredible words about Jesus Christ that we see throughout the entire New Testament. This is just such a, uh, a theologically rich dense section of scripture that just absolutely shows us the importance of who Jesus is and what he has done. So uh, this is, you know, what we call Christology, the the study of Christ, the study of the person and work of Jesus. That's what we find here in Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11. And because it is so rich, because it is such a a pivotal piece of scripture, not just in Philippians, but in the entire New Testament, what we're going to do is we're going to slow down even more than what we've been doing in Philippians, and we are going to take this section verse by verse, week by week. So today um, I'm going to read all of the section, but we're going to focus in on verse 6. Next week we're going to focus in on verse 7. Then we got to that, we're going to focus in on verse 8, and so on. You guys get the picture. So we're going to majorly slow down. We're going to take this piece by piece because, again, it is so just packed full of the truth of who Jesus is. And and that's a big deal right we are here because of jesus we call ourselves christians because of jesus we gather and worship jesus we glorify the name of jesus everything we say and do is all about jesus so we should spend a lot of time talking about jesus right we need to make sure that we 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 get that right so that's what we're gonna do we're gonna spend some time really digging into the person and work of jesus over the next few weeks i hope you join us be here with us make sure you follow along with our podcast or YouTube if you miss one of these upcoming weeks these are these are such important weeks and such pivotal truths that we're going to be digging into so again Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 So hopefully you're there if not you can follow along on the screen behind me Uh, you can uh, if you don't own a Bible please grab one of our Bibles on our table out there, but just kind of get us started. As Lee mentioned last week, my wife and I, we were we were out of town celebrating our wedding anniversary. 14 years, we've been married 14 years, it's incredible. So we uh, had been saving up for a while and all this good stuff, airline points, everything that we could scrape together to go on this trip kid-free. So we went to Mexico, Cabo, kid-free. Uh, Kendra's mom watched the kids for the first part of the trip. My mom and stepdad watched the kids for the second part of the trip. So it was actually, those of you with kids know this, Like it was actually a vacation. Like I know when we go on vacation with kids, we're like, yay, it's a vacation, but really, like, it's not restful all right you come back and you're like man i need a vacation from my vacation this was not one of those trips it was extremely restful. it was awesome it was a great time good time for my wife and i to to connect with one another it was just uh it was really good so we flew back on on tuesday so our flight left mexico at noon and it's a four-hour flight and it's a three-hour time difference so by the time we landed in atlanta it was like right before seven o'clock at night so 7 p.m and i don't know if you guys Uh, know this about the Atlanta airport is something that I learned they have that really awesome international terminal right it's beautiful it's really well done it's really close to everything international related but that's not where all the international flights go there's only a few uh, terminals there so a few gates or whatever they call it at the Atlanta airport I learned that this week so uh, we landed in the domestic side but you have to go to the international side to go through customs and get your bags. so you have to walk there. Which is like, that's not big deal. It's like a 25-minute walk, y'all. Like, we get off the plane, we're like, where are we going? Like, there's signs pointing. It's like, it's om- you're almost there. You're almost there. It's like, no, we haven't gotten there yet. So it's like a half-hour walk, and then you get there to find the massive line at customs, right? And it, 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 this is like 7:00, 7 7:30 on a Tuesday night, and it's packed full of people. I'm like, what? Who are these people traveling internationally a Tuesday night during the week? Like, what is going on here? Like, we were only doing this because it was fall break and our kids were out of school. Like, what is happening. So it's packed full. So we wait an hour in line at customs, then you got to go to baggage claim, get your stuff, and then you have to exit the the terminal on the international side, which is fine. Like they got parking over there. It's great. The problem was the problem was the way we coordinated transportation. So uh, my, my wife's uh, mom came into town from Texas. So she flew into town before we left. She stayed with our kids and then she took our car, drove it to the airport on Saturday while we were gone and parked it at the domestic side so that she could get on her flight and fly out. So our car was there, it was just at the domestic side. And here I'm thinking, you know, all this is connected. They got the train, all that stuff. We should just be able to hop on and go to the domestic side, shouldn't be a problem. No. No, you're not allowed to do that because you have to exit all the way out of security. Again, I'm learning new things as we are going about this. So this is Tuesday night. So we find out, okay, there's actually a shuttle that takes you from international to the domestic. So I go outside. We find someone like, hey, where's the shuttle? They're like, hey, you see that long line of people over there? Yeah, that's where the shuttle is. Okay, cool. So this is like an hour and a half now that we've, we've... you know, gone from our plane to to now waiting in this long line for the shuttle, um, and they have these buses, but the buses like are half full of people's luggage and then half full of people. It's like so you can only take a few people. So this it takes another like 40 minutes of us standing in line. So by the time we actually get to our car on the domestic side, it's been almost two hours that we've just been chilling at the airport since the moment we got off our plane. So then we start driving home. And we're ready to get home and my parents are at our house. Our kids are already asleep and it's going to be like, you know, 930, 10 o'clock by the time we get home. So I really wanted to make it home at a decent time for my parents to be able to drive home where it's not too late. So uh, I start driving home and the way we get home to our house is we got to go 285 to 78 to eventually get to our house. That's where we're going. So, but 285 is, is kind of weird, right? So it's like, it's a circle. So I know that eventually we have to go north. But what I didn't know was you have to go south first to get on the right side of the circle to where we needed to go. I had to go south first and then north. But here I am, I think I know where I'm going. So I'm like, oh no, we gotta go 285 north. So I'm telling Kinder, I'm like, I know where I'm going, I got this. She's like, are you sure you don't want me to turn on the the GPS? I'm like, no, I got this, I I got it, it's no problem. So I start going on 285 north, the wrong north, by the way. The wrong north. i learned this several miles into it I'm like, this isn't looking right. The exit numbers are not normal. This is not This is not where we should go. And finally Kendra goes, do you think we're going the right way? I was like, you know what? No, I don't think we are. Turn on the GPS and see. And she turns on she's like, yep, I knew it. We were going the wrong way. Told you we were going the wrong way. But me as a guy who's really prideful, like no, pff, I got this, no problem. I was wrong, got that completely wrong, ended up going like 25, 30 minutes out of the way. We had to go on the other side of 285, cut across to the right side of 285 to eventually get to where we were going, wasted like another half hour just driving because in my pride and stupidity, I got that wrong. I got it wrong. I needed to get the directions right and I got it wrong. And that's what brings us to our section in Philippians chapter two. The truths that we see here about Jesus are things that we need to get right. We cannot afford to get these things wrong and believe wrongly about who Jesus is and what he's done. That's why we're slowing down. That's why we're really digging deep into this section. It is so important for us to get these things right. So with that said, let me read Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole thing, 5 through 11, just to kind of give us a high-level overview, a picture of where it is. And then we're going to zoom into chapter, or verse 6, for this Sunday. So let's start reading here. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says this. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So to the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So again, that, that's high level. That, that's the, the section of scripture that we are going to dig deep into over these next few weeks. And verse 5, Verse 5 acts as this bridge between what we saw last week at the first four verses to the, the section 6 through 11 that we're going to spend our time in. So in verse 5, Paul says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And if you remember last week, what we see in verses 1 through 4 is Paul tells us as believers, we need to act a certain way with one another right we need to pursue unity we, we don't need to be selfish instead we need to lay aside our selfish ambition and our pride and our conceit and, and we need to not look just to our needs but we need to look to the needs of others so paul is telling us here's how you are to act with one another here's how you're to treat other people and it's all based what he says in verse 5 but it's all based on jesus we are to act that way we are to respond like that to one another we are to pursue those things because jesus does that for us because Jesus has paved the way for us. Now, Paul is saying a lot more than just that in verse 5, but that's kind of a high-level view of verse 5. In order to fully understand when Paul says to adopt the same attitude of Jesus, in order to fully understand what that means, we have to fully understand verses six through 11. So we're gonna do this, like I said, a little different. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna zoom in on verses six through 11 over the next few weeks, and then we're gonna go back to verse five. After we understand six through 11, we're gonna go back to verse five and say, okay, based on what we now know, Here's what verse 5 really, in its full depth and richness, what that means. So we're going we're gonna to set verse 5 aside over here for a few weeks, and, and we're going to come back to that, all right? So we're, like I said, we're going to zoom in on verse 6 today, and as we do this, as we do this over the next few weeks, I want to keep three questions in mind for us. I don't have these on the screen, so uh, you can write these down if you want to. But just uh, kind of let you know what the outline is going to look like over the next few weeks. We're going to keep these three questions in front of us. We're going to ask, what does this tell us about who Jesus is? So the verse that we're in, what, is it, what does this verse tell us about who Jesus is? The second question we're going to ask is, what does it tell us about the work of Jesus? What Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, what Jesus will do? So we're going to ask, what does it tell us about who he is? What does it tell us about the work of Jesus? What he's done for us? And then we're going to ask, okay, what's the importance of this? What does this mean for me as a believer living in 2023? So who is Jesus? What did he do? And then what does it mean for me right here, right now? So those are three questions we're going to keep in front of us throughout our time going through this. So let's zoom in on verse 6. Let me read that again for us as we dig into what we have today. So verse 6 again, it says, Who existing in the form of God... Did not consider equality with god as something to be exploited so what does this tell us about who jesus is what does this tell us about the work of jesus and what does this mean for me today well our first point if you're taking notes write this on the first point first thing this teaches us about who jesus is is jesus is fully god it tells us that jesus is fully god he's fully god Paul says here at the beginning of verse 6 he says Jesus existing in the form of God. If you underline or highlight things in your Bible, circle underline that that phrase the form of God. That is that is such an important phrase. And that word that word form, what it does is, is it gets to the it gets to the nature of something. It's not necessarily talking about how something or someone looks. It's not that the outward appearance or expression or outward characteristics of something. It, it's speaking to the, the nature, the, the inward qualities and characteristics that makes that thing, that thing, right? So it's not because things can look different, but they can all kind of essentially be the same nature. I, I think a helpful way to understand this is, is an egg. So if you have eggs, you can cook eggs in different ways, right? Like like I cook eggs every single morning, and when I cook eggs, everybody in our family likes it scrambled. Some of y'all are crazy, and you like it that that with the yolk in it, where it's like over easy or fried egg. My dad eats that, and just like lets the yolk just run all over, and it, I like I can't even watch him eat it. It's just so disgusting. I can't do it. So if that's you, blessings for you can't do that. All right, but some of y'all crazy like that. Some you know there's other ways. You can poach the eggs. You can do uh, different ways to cook eggs, right? But it's but it's still an egg. Like you can have a fried egg and a scrambled egg and sure one's gross and the other one's not but but they're all the same thing it's it's an egg right isn't it looks different but it's still the essential qualities that makes it an egg are still there it's still an egg so that's kind of what we're we're getting at when we talk about form it's those it's it's the nature the essence that makes that thing a thing so what paul is telling us here when he says that jesus has the same form as god he's telling us that jesus has the same nature the same essence, the same glory, the same characteristics as God. Jesus has all the things that make God, God. Jesus has that too. Jesus is 100% fully God. He has the same nature, the same divine nature as God. So let's, let's pause here for a second and talk about the nature of God. The Bible teaches us that God has eternally existed in Trinitarian form. Now you're not going to find the word Trinity in the Bible. It's not there. It's not in your scripture. That word does not exist in scripture, but the truth of that teaching is there. It's very present all throughout the pages of scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. It's all over your Bible that God has existed in Trinitarian form. So here's what that means. Here's what we know the Bible teaches about God. We know that the Bible teaches that there are three distinct persons within God. There's God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. So we know that there's three distinct persons within one God. The Bible also teaches that those three distinct persons all have the same exact nature. So there are three distinct persons all having the same divine nature of God. And the other thing that it teaches, the third thing the Bible teaches, is that we have one God. We have one God. I know. How does that make sense i 'm not really sure it makes my brain hurt when I think too much about that but that 's what we see in scripture we don 't have three separate gods we don 't have one god that 's God the Father we don 't have another god that 's Jesus and we don 't have a third god that 's God the Holy Spirit. We have one God we also don 't have one God that just kind of manifests himself in different ways at different times it 's not that that we have one God that kind of shows up as God the Father sometimes and then you know when he was here on earth, he kind of he showed up and manifested himself in the form. Of Jesus, and then and then now he's manifesting himself in the form of God the Holy Spirit. There's not three distinct persons there. It's just it's one God that kind of shows up in different ways. That's not what the Bible teaches either. So I, I think a helpful diagram. Uh, we're going to put this on the screen for a little while for us to look at and talk through, just to make sure we're all on the same page. And we could do like a. You know we can go back to the egg illustration and be like well you know as an egg there's there's the shell and there's the yolk and then there's the egg white so it's all you know those are different things but they're all one egg or, or water like there's liquid there's frozen water there's gas forms of water those analogies kind of break down at some point so i don't really love those i think this is a little bit more helpful so we have god that's the center right there we have god who is the son he is the father he Is the Holy Spirit, but the Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. So we have one God. They share the same nature, but they are distinct in their person. You guys tracking with me? I know this is gonna feel a little bit more theological than we typically go on Sundays. I love that by the way, so I'm gonna try to keep myself from nerding out too much over these next few weeks to keep you guys with me. But again, this is really important for us to get right. We have to get this stuff right. This matters. This is a big deal. So this is who God is. There are three distinct persons, all having the same exact divine nature, and there is one God. That's who our God is. And again, this is, this is a big deal. So Jesus is fully God. He is not Godlike. He is not kind of a god. He is not a lesser version of a god. He's not a created being that has has reached this superior elevated status. That's not who Jesus is. That's not who the Son is. Jesus is 100% fully God. And like I said, this matters. This is the truth that separates us as Christians from every other religion out there from every other expression of, of Christianity, of people claiming to worship the same Jesus, or other religions claiming to worship the same God. This truth that we see in Scripture separates us from all of that. So here are some examples of, uh, uh, of claims out there that say we, we worship the same Jesus, but we don't really. One of those is, uh, is the Mormons, Mormon faith, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you guys have heard of that, um, a couple weeks ago, right before we went out of town, we got... Uh, we were in the backyard, and we were coming around to the front yard. We were sending some things out for Halloween. Our kids love all sorts of decorations. So Halloween is decorated. Christmas is really de- – if you come by our house at Christmas, you will see a ton of lights. So I mean, the kids just love that. They, they love it, so we like to do that. So we were doing that a couple weeks ago, and we're coming around this Saturday, and I get one of the – you know, we have the ring doorbell, so they, somebody pressed the button, and I see on my phone it's two young guys in a, a white button-down shirt with a tie. And y'all know, if you've been this, you know exactly who these kids are. All right, these are young guys, they're like 18, 19 years old, and they're Mormons. They're Mormons out on their two-year mission. And here they are, we're coming around from the side. Our kids see them and they're like, whoa, who are these strangers? And they're like, hi, we're here. I was in the garage getting some of the dog. And they're trying to talk to us, and our kids are, you know, wanting us to do whatever they're doing. We're trying to have some family time. So Kendra finally was like, Yeah, my husband's a pastor. And they were like, peace, see y'all later. Hell the right. good one. I was like, wait, where are you going? No, no, come back. So I don't know. Maybe they'll come back. Maybe not. We'll see. But uh, they, they bolted. As soon as I heard that, they bolted. And our kids were like, Dad, what was that about? What's going on? Who were those people? So I had to tell them. I was like, these are people that are Mormons. They're like, what does that mean? I was like, well, they, they worship a different Jesus. And they were like, well, what do you mean by that? And I was like, well, they believe that Jesus is a, a godlike figure, that, that he is not God kind of like god he's a created being that's been elevated to the status of savior right mormons would say that jesus is the savior that you need to put your faith in jesus to be saved and that sounds like what we believe right the problem is is that they believe in a made up version of jesus not the jesus of scripture they do not believe that jesus is the same as god that he has the same nature he he is a created lower being than god yes he's the savior Yes, he's superior, but he's not God. Not the same. That's a fake Jesus that they're believing in. Jehovah's Witnesses are the same thing, right? And they might come around and knock on your door. And look, we could probably learn a lot from the evangelistic efforts of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. It's a separate conversation that we may come back to at some point, but they believe the wrong Jesus. They believe, and again, Jesus is is not the God, he's a God. He is God-like. He's, yes, worthy of worship, yes, the Savior, but he's not the God of Scripture. Again, this is what sets us apart as believers. Who is Jesus? Who's Jesus? And look, that's the most important question that we could ever ask. And again, that's why we're spending so much time on this. Who do you say that Jesus is? That has eternal consequences. The answer of that has eternal consequences. Who do we say Jesus is? The Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses would say, Jesus is savior, but he's not God. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that Jesus is 100% fully God. If you do not worship Jesus as God, you worship a fake Jesus. And just like anybody else that doesn't believe in the true Jesus, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, when they die, if they do not repent and believe in the true Jesus, they will spend eternity in hell forever. That's the reality. They worship a false version of Jesus. Look at two other really big world religions. Muslims would claim that we worship the same God as them, but who do they say Jesus is? He's just a good person. He's just a teacher. Maybe he's a prophet. He's not God. We don't worship the same God. Jews would claim to worship the same God that we see in Scripture, the God of the Old Testament. They would say, Yeah, we believe in that God. But who do they say Jesus is? He's just a guy, not the Messiah, not the Savior he's just the guy. And that's where things go backwards, right? Like that's where we get off track. I'm like, no 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 no. Jesus is God. That matters. It matters who we say Jesus is. This truth right here matters and has eternal weight and consequences on how we answer that. Who is Jesus? Jesus is 100% fully God. So If it matters that much, where else do we see it in Scripture? Surely it can't just be in Philippians chapter 2. And you're right, it's all over Scripture, especially the New Testament. So here are some other ways that we know for sure that this truth is 100% true, that Jesus truly is fully 100% God, having the same divine nature as God. Here's some other ways that we, we can know this for sure. One is Jesus himself refers to him. As God And he does this in several different places. I'll give you two verses. One, in John 858 through 59, Jesus says this. Jesus said to them, "Truly, I tell you, before Abraham was I am." So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. So you might be thinking like, well what is that? And Jesus says, "I, I, don't, I am? What does that mean? Well, the I am. That is the personal name for God that God gives in the Old Testament when God appears before Moses at the burning bush and he says, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go, Moses says, who should I tell him sent me? What do I call you? And God says, I am that I am. That's his name. That's translated in Hebrew as Yahweh. That's the personal name of God. Strict, religious, ritual Jews won't even write that name out because they revere that name so much. They won't even spell it out. That's how uh, revered that name is to Judaism. Like that, that name is a big deal. When Jesus says this, I am what he's telling the Jewish people. What he's telling the people there present with him at the temple is is that I am from the Old Testament, the I am that set the people free of the Exodus of Moses. That's me. I'm the I am, and that's why they picked up stones ready to kill him because they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Nobody can claim that you're God. That's blasphemy and worthy of death. The Jews knew exactly what Jesus was saying here. He was telling them that he's God. That's a big deal. So Jesus refers himself as God. Another way that he does this is with Jesus' favorite title for himself. He constantly refers to himself as the Son of Man. And that, you know, like, okay, what's going on with that? Son of Man, okay, Son of God, I get, but Son of Man, what's going on with that? Well, the Son of Man is a reference, again, in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7. the messianic figure the person who was to save israel and the entire world from their sins was referred to as the son of man and that messianic figure was was uh, equated with god throughout the old testament because god is the one that saves god is the one that sets people free and he was going to do it through the messiah so Telling everybody that you're the Messiah was like telling everybody that you're God for the Jewish people at this time. So when Jesus refers himself as the Son of Man, he's telling people, I'm the Messiah, I'm God. And he does this at his trial. So Jesus is arrested and he goes before the Jewish trial. This is in Matthew 26, starting in verse 63. It says this, but Jesus kept silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said it, Jesus told him, but I tell you in the future you will see, and this is where he quotes from Daniel 7, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And as soon as Jesus says that, everybody's like, you heard it. He's telling us that he's God. Let's kill him. They were ready to kill him in that moment because Jesus was saying with these words, I'm God. I'm the Messiah. I'm God. I'm the Son of Man. So Jesus refers to himself as God. Another way that Jesus is referred to as God is by using the word for God for the Jesus. Uh, so the Greek word throughout your New Testament for God is the Greek word theos. And Jesus is constantly referred to as theos over and over and over again. One of these places that we see it is John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word is Jesus. We find that out through the rest of John chapter 1. Jesus is the word. And what John just told us is Jesus is God. He is Theos. He reiterates this in John 1 verse 18. He says, no one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, it's Jesus, who is himself God and is at the Father's side has revealed him. Jesus, the Son, is God. Again, we're told this over and over again throughout the New Testament. Another word that Jesus is referred to as is the word Lord. You see that word all throughout the New Testament, and Jesus is constantly referred to as Lord. That word Lord is the Greek word kurios. Kurios. And why that matters is because around 200 B.C., the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, was translated into the common language at that time, Greek. And what the translators that were translating from Hebrew to Greek, when they came across the name of God, Yahweh, Which, if you read your Old Testament, when you see the capital L O R D, when you see it all capitalized, that's Yahweh. That's the personal name of God. And when they translated that Yahweh Hebrew word into Greek, they used the word Kurios, Lord. That's how the the translators referred to the personal name of God, was Lord. So when we see Jesus being referred to as Lord throughout the New Testament, that's what they're saying. When we say that Jesus is Lord what we're saying is Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. He is God. We see this again all over. One of the most famous verses is Romans 10:9. It says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. Part of our salvation is believing that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God. This matters. This is a big deal. All right, so we see Jesus referred to as the Lord over and over again. And then we see all throughout the New Testament divine acts and characteristics and attributes that we would say are attributes or characteristics or acts of God. They're being attributed to Jesus. We see this all over Colossians 1 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Okay, and firstborn doesn't mean that he's the first created being we don't really have time to get into this, but just to be clear, it doesn't mean that he's the firstborn in terms of creation, that, that God he was the first thing that God created. Firstborn is is status. Okay, like status of the firstborn at this time meant that you got, that you were the heir of everything, right? You were in elevated status over everything else. That's what that means. Okay, so let's keep going. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. So we know that what the Bible tells us is that God created everything. And right here we're being told that Jesus is the one that created. Jesus creates, meaning, and only God can create, so Jesus is the creator God, right? So he's the creator. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, Long ago God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, God appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So not only... Are we being reminded here that Jesus has the same nature as God? Not only are we being reminded that Jesus created all things, what we're told here in Hebrews chapter 1 is that he sustains all of creation through his power. Again, that's something only God can do, and we're being told that Jesus is the one who does that. Another example that Jesus is God. Mark 2 verse 5. This is during Jesus' ministry. He says, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven, Jesus is forgiving sins. That's something that only God can do. Only God can forgive sins, and yet here is Jesus forgiving sins. Matthew 14, says after um, Peter walked on water, and, and they see this, and this is what happens. Matthew 14, 33. Then those in the boat worshiped him and said, truly you are the Son of God. Only God can receive worship. Only God should receive worship. Let me put it that way. And here Jesus is accepting and encouraging people to worship him. Here are faithful Jewish people who knew the severity of sin and the consequences of worshiping somebody else other than God. Here they are worshiping God himself. Because they see, man, this guy has power over nature. That's only something God can do. And we're reminded of that all throughout Jesus' ministry, right? Every time he heals, every miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, the calming of the storm, like all of these different miracles that Jesus does over and over and over again, he's showing the power of God. These are things that only God can do, and here Jesus is doing it. So again, we're reminded over and over again that Jesus is God. And one of my favorite ways that we can be certain of this truth is James chapter one verse one it says James a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad greetings now that doesn't seem like much but what matters here is that James is the earthly brother of Jesus and here he is saying that he is a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ how many of you have siblings in here would you ever willingly say that you are a servant to your sibling anybody anybody here no. That would never be something that I would say, and I would never equate one of my siblings with God, unless they actually were, right? Like, here's Jesus's own brother that grew up with Jesus saying, yeah, I worship that guy. Yeah, I serve that guy. Yeah, my brother, but my brother's God, okay? Yes, I know he's my brother, but he's God. <laughs> like, that doesn't happen on its own, apart from it being true, right? Like, Jesus's own siblings are worshiping him as God and committing their lives to live for him. So Jesus, over and over again, we see throughout Scripture that he is 100% fully God. This is a conviction that we should hold tightly. We talk a lot about Open-handed versus closed-handed issues right and we're constantly leaving and we even did this last week where we see Christians that we fight over things that that ultimately don't matter right like we disagree on all of these what we call open-handed issues these are things that 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 Christians who love Jesus can disagree on and we can all you know sit under the banner of Jesus things like, like church governance right like some people you know more congregational more elder more you know pastor whatever it's like there's a bunch of different forms of church Government. We can have different forms and still be under the banner of Jesus. That's an open handed issue that we can disagree on and still be in fellowship and have the same faith. But there are other things in Scripture that are closed handed issues that if we get wrong, if we disagree on, that's where we break fellowship. This is one of those closed handed issues. We need to believe that Jesus is 100% fully God. If I'm sitting across the table at somebody and they're a believer, they say they're. Jesus follower, and they're like, you know what? I really believe in premillennialism. I'll be like, okay, cool. Sounds good. I don't fall in that camp, but you do? That sounds great. Awesome. Tell me more about it. Why do you land there? Let's talk. That's, that's great. We can still be Christians and disagree on eschatology things, but if I was sitting across from somebody who said, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and I don't think Jesus was God, okay, that's where we go. Time out. We need to talk about that because now, now I cannot safely say that you are a believer in Jesus, now there's doubt there because this is something we, we have to get right. This is a closed-handed issue that if we believe differently, our salvation is absolutely in question. So this is one of those closed-handed issues, the, the divinity of Jesus. This is a big deal. And again we see this all throughout scripture do not waver in your conviction of that truth hold that tightly and if you ever hear another gospel another preacher come and say you know what jesus really isn't god cast that person out run away from that that is a false gospel has a false version of jesus that we should reject this is a big deal it matters okay so let's move to our second question that tells us who jesus is jesus is fully god now what did jesus What did jesus do with that what did jesus do with his divine nature the second thing we see here about jesus is jesus is selfless jesus is selfless look again at verse six it tells us that that jesus who existing in the form of god did not consider equality with god as something to be exploited what does that mean what are we talking about when we get there. Jesus did not consider his divinity, his equality with God, as something to be exploited. That phrase, something to be exploited, is all one word in the original language, and it's one that that's a little difficult to translate because it's really not a common word, which is why you see it translated in different ways. So I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible, and I really love this translation. I've been primarily preaching out of this translation for a while now and I, I really like the way they translated this because I think it gets to the heart of what it actually means here in the context but uh, there's other uh versions like the the English Standard Version the ESV which I used to preach out of I really love the ESV it's a great translation they say they translate this as as something to be grasped as a thing to grasp uh, the NASB also translates it something similar like, I don't, what does that mean? I don't know, like, what, like what's he trying to grasp at? Is it equality that, that he's trying to grasp, but he doesn't have, like, what, that doesn't really, I don't know, I don't, what does that mean, right? So what, what do we mean when it says here that, that uh, how this word is translated? Well, this word carries with it an idea of using something that you have for selfish gain. So you already have something, it belongs to you, and you are choosing to use that for your own selfish ambitions and purposes. And what we're told here is that Jesus does not do that. He already has divinity. He already has the same form, the nature, characteristics as God. He has equality with God. And yet, how does he use that? Does he use it for his own selfish gain, for his own selfish purpose? Does he use his, his power and influence that he has as God to, to lord it over other people, to, to use it to, to gain more power, more authority, more influence? Does he use it for selfish ambitions? No, he doesn't. He doesn't do that. He uses it instead to serve. Jesus is not selfish selfish he is selfless. He's selfless. He uses his power, his influence, his divinity for the good of others, for for the good of us. And look, this is, again, another way that sets Christians apart from every other world religion out there. This would have been a foreign concept to what the Philippians grew up seeing. I mean, think about the way that they see power during the Roman Empire. What did Caesar do? Caesar gains power because he's the the biggest guy on the block, right? He's the one that's going to defeat all the other armies. He's the most powerful person in the world. And how is Caesar using that power? He's using it to gain more land, to conquer more people, to force more people under his empire, to force others to bow before him in worship, to see him as a god. That's what Caesar does. He uses his power and influence for selfish gain. Think of all the the different mythology that the Philippians would have grown up seeing with with Greek and Roman gods. What do we know when we study mythology? How are these Greek gods, these, these false gods, using their power and influence? Are they using it to help other people out? No. They're using it for their own glory, their own selfish desires and ambitions. We see this throughout scripture, right? How often are we seeing people who have some level of power and authority in scripture using it for selfish gain for selfish ambition rather than to serve other people i mean this goes all the way back to the garden adam and eve right adam and eve have the perfect relationship with god full access to god they have everything you could ever hope want, and imagine and god gives them one command don't eat of that tree you eat of that tree bad things happen and here comes satan along he's like oh you see that tree looks good, doesn't it? Yeah, it is good. Guess why God said don't eat at that? Because if you do, you'll be like God. And what did Adam and Eve do? They ate because they wanted to be God. They didn't want to live under God's authority. They wanted to be over and above God. They wanted to be their own God. So they ate. And God does exactly what he said he was good bad things happen sin comes in the world evil destruction just a whole bunch of awfulness right comes in because of that decision because Adam and Eve decided you know what I want to reject living for God and under God and I want to be my own God I want to do whatever I want to do and then we've been doing that ever since we're hearing that same message over and over again in this culture Do whatever it takes to get ahead right do whatever it takes to to get what you need to get to get over and above other people chase after your own selfish ambition and your desires that's a good thing that's rewarded in our culture What are we told about who we are as people? We we can be whoever we want to be. We can decide whatever we want to be, whatever truth we want to believe, whatever uh, whatever version of life we want to create and pursue, whatever desires we have, we should go and act on that. And we're being encouraged to just kind of redefine things that we've believed for centuries, like to the gender. Like we're redefining gender because we're just telling people, you can be whatever you want to be. Define your own truth. And if somebody says, no, that's not truth, that's not accurate. Well, now you're the enemy, you hate me, and and you're the bad person, and we're going to do everything we can to just get you out of here right like that's that's the world we live in we're being told over and over again we can be our own god we can define our own reality we can define our own version of truth that's not how god has created us that's not the way we're meant to live we are not meant to be god our best life the way that we flourish is living under the authority of god is living as he has created us. But we buy into this lie all the time. And we seek ways to use whatever power and influence we have for our own selfish purposes, ambitions, and desires. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't see it as something to exploit. He didn't use his power, his authority, his divine nature and status as something for his own selfish gain and ambitions no he he used it to serve us and we're going to get into more specifics of what that looks like as we go forward in the next few weeks so make sure you're here stick with us over the next few weeks as we dig into these important really big truths that we need to get right right these are closed-handed issues so we're going to see exactly what Jesus does with his divinity it's not something that he uses for his own good he uses it for our good He uses it to come down from heaven, live the perfect life that you and I never could, die the death that you and I deserved because of our sins, take on all of our sins, all of the wrath that we had stored up, dies on the cross, sacrifices himself for us, bearing the weight and penalty of God's wrath, rises from the dead three days later, and and gives us his salvation and righteousness through faith in him that's what Jesus did with his divinity that's what God does for us and we're called to do the same so real quick before we end what does this what does this mean for us what does this mean for us let me give you three thoughts before we close up today what does all this mean what's the importance of it well the first thing is that it reminds us of the importance of Jesus's divinity again this is a big deal this is an important doctrine that we have to get right this matters this is what sets us apart as Christians, from every other religion that's out there, is who do we say Jesus is? He's God. Jesus is God. It also reminds us of the trustworthiness of Jesus in Scripture. Jesus doesn't say that he's a good teacher, that he's a good person that we should follow and emulate and and live for, even though he's just a man like us. No, Jesus says that he's God. He's God. He tells us he's God. So if we were to not believe that, what we're saying is that Jesus was either a liar, that he knew he wasn't God and he wasn't telling us the truth, or he was just a crazy person that thought he was God and really he's just like everybody else. Those are only three options. It's either he's God, he's a liar, or he's a crazy person. Those are our options. Who is Jesus? Who do we say Jesus is? The Bible doesn't give us the option for any other conclusion other than that Jesus is God. Jesus said that he was every apostle and New Testament author said he was. Early Christians, Christian fathers throughout the century have given their lives to hold on to that truth. It's a big deal. It matters. It affects how we view scripture. It affects how we view Jesus, right? If Jesus really is God, the truths that we find in scripture, the truths that he reveals to us about him and the way he's called us to, that should matter. That should matter. We should hold that. with with weighty hands right that oh jesus says this man the bible says this and jesus is god and i'm living for god like those words matter these are not suggestions this matters it affects our worship right who are we worshiping who are we giving our lives to it's jesus he's not just a good person Not just a good teacher with some good morals and some good principles no he is god And it matters for our salvation. The Bible tells us over and over again that only God can save. Only God can forgive our sins. Only God can bear the weight of sin's punishment. If Jesus was not God, he did not save us. He couldn't have. A normal person like you and me could not save us. If that could happen, we didn't need Jesus. We didn't need God. It matters that Jesus is fully God. If he is not fully God, we are still in our sins and none of this matters and we should just go home and never come back again. That matters. This truth matters. It's a big deal. Second, it reminds us of how we are to be like Jesus. Again, that's the whole point of this entire section is that, hey, we are to live this way because Jesus lived it perfectly and we're to follow his lead. We're to follow his example. So uh, what did Jesus do again with his divinity? Did he use it for his own selfish gain? No, he laid it down to serve others. And that's what we're called to do too. This is what Paul says in Philippians 2, 3. This is what Lee walked us through last week. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. We are not to use whatever power and influence we have in this life for our own selfish gain. We're to use it for the good of other people. And look, we we all have power and influence in a lot of different spheres. Think through uh, how has God given me power and influence in the different ways, in different areas in my life, and how can I use that? I mean, if you're married, if you're married, you have power and influence in your marriage, and you can use that to manipulate and get your way all the time and be really selfish and make it this environment where your spouse lives in and like, oh man, I can't, don't disagree with my husband or wife or else I'm going to catch the wrath of God and I'm, you know it's better to let them be who whatever they want to do and be who they want to be and do whatever and not wait make any waves right like don't rock the boat because they'll no get mad at me like you could do that you could do that as a spouse and make it just absolutely miserable for your husband and wife that's not how we're supposed to use our power and influence and so we need to think man how can I serve my wife today how can I serve my husband today how can I love them in the way of Jesus parents with your kids man my, my kids are young enough now where i have full power over them for for the most part like i can't force them to behave in public or else you know i would totally do that but that's not how it works but man like like they're young enough to work they don't have much independence they can't drive they can't go anywhere without me giving their approval they can't watch certain things if i come up and say hey we're not watching that you're not doing that you're not doing this like what are they going to do right like i'm bigger and stronger than they are it's not going to happen hey i want to eat sugar all day. No, sorry, you can't have that, right? Like, I have a lot of power and influence over my kids. And parents, regardless of how old your children are, you have power and influence over your children. How are we using that? How are we wielding that power and influence in our kids' lives? At your job, if you have any sort of managerial role or or any kind of environment where you have any sort of power and influence over somebody else, how are you using that? Are you using it in the way that Jesus would? Or are you using it for your own selfish gain? I mean, anytime you walk out into the world as a customer, right? We walk into a store, the customer's always right, or at least that's how it should be, I guess, technically in the sales world. Like, we have power in that situation. How are you treating those people that you come ac- across while you're out and about? How do you treat the customer service agent on the phone that's just trying to do their job, just trying to get through the day, they're just trying to help out, they're bound by all those crazy corporate rules, and they can't always do everything. Are we treating them the way that Jesus would? Are we responding to these at a restaurant how are you treating your server when they come to your table or, i don't have time for this person i'm just looking at my menu get out of here and take my drink order you better be quick you better get me good refills or man you're not getting a tip today like how are that's that's power and influence how are we using that we got to think through how what are these fears these these moments where i have power and influence and how can i use that to bless other people to point other people towards jesus that's the way of jesus And then lastly, it it helps us answer the most important question. Like I said, the most important question we could ever ask is who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus? Again, the way we answer that question has eternal consequence. If Jesus is just some guy, maybe he's a good teacher, but he's really just a guy. If that's what we believe, I'm telling you, man, that's not going to help you at the end. We can't go through life and get to the end of our lives hoping to stand before God with our just our good deeds, right? Our, our good intentions—it's not going to get us anywhere. What matters is who we say that Jesus is. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he just a man? Is he godlike? Is he some created, elevated, superior being, better than everything else, but certainly not God? Or is Jesus? the one true God, the eternal second person of the Trinity, God, the Son. That's who Jesus is. That's what the Bible tells us and reveals to us about Jesus, and we need to hold that truth tightly. We pray for us, and we're going to step into this time of communion and worship like we do every single Sunday. And this is a time for those of us who are believers. This is a time for those of us who who do believe these truths about Jesus, who have confessed that Jesus is Lord, that he is God and Savior. This is a time for us to remember that, to celebrate that, and to worship Jesus for who he is and what he's done for us. So believer in the room, take some time and prepare your hearts. And honestly i think the proper response to today and hearing truths like this and what we're going to see throughout the next few weeks is just to sit in awe of who our god is that our god left the glories and the riches of heaven to come down and save us and rescue us and give his life for ours y'all the proper response to that is worship is to say wow jesus you are good so believer in the room, take, take some time, prepare your heart, and as you're ready, you can go to either side of the room. We take the bread, we take the cup, we eat and we drink in response and in worship and celebration of Jesus giving his life for ours. If you're here and, and when I ask that question, who do you say Jesus is, and you're like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure how to answer that please come and talk to somebody, talk to me, talk to one of our elders, talk to honestly, anybody here. We would love to talk with you more about who Jesus is. Or maybe you're here and you're like, man, I thought I was going down the right way. I thought I was believing truths, but now I'm seeing, man, I was believing in a fake made up version of Jesus. And you're ready to come to him for the first time in faith, the true Jesus. Please, again, come talk to me. Come talk to somebody here. Let us help you with that process with you and that pray for you. Let us know, don't don't leave here today without knowing the answer to that question. Who is Jesus? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, Lord, that you are the eternal God, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity who existed in the form of God, who is equal to God, and who used that for us. Lord, that is that's pretty wild when you think about it. You didn't have to come and save us. You're not bound to do that. And yet in your love for us, as, as enemies of you, as people who were walking in sin, who rejected your truth, Jesus, you came to save us. You did not use your divinity for your selfish gain, but for our good. Jesus, thank you for that. Lord, we, we love you. We worship you. We lift high your name today, Jesus. You are God, and we worship you today. In your name we pray.